Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. As always, I am Bryson Carver, and very new look today. I'm, I'm looking at the monitor right now. I'm looking at looking at my, my computer screen right now. A new look, a new overlay, a new background for Carving Up Live moving forward. Shout out to my man, Ryan Flowers, Clutch Sports Talk every Sunday morning here on the Grid Network, and more importantly than that, a good, good friend of mine, a uh, dear friend of mine who put this graphic together, put this little uh, this this layout, this concoction together. So shout out to Ryan. And uh, we, we've been working, myself, my guy Barry, Ryan, like we've been trying to work on, hey, can we get a new look? See what, it, you know, try and freshen things up a little bit. And I hope y'all like this. This is what Ryan came up with. He did a fantastic job as he does with, you know, basically everything he does in, in, in his own personal life as well as at the Grid Network. And we are certainly very, very lucky to have him uh, here. So shout out, Ryan. Looks fantastic. Very excited to have this new look for Carving Up Live. we got a big time show today. Obviously, divisional round predictions. That'll be at the end with the four games. I do have this is the last weekend of the NFL season in which I'll have Bryson's Bleak Bet, If I Were a Bet Man, and, um, uh, gosh, what's the other one? Bryce Bleak Bet, If I Were a Bet Man. And the upset of the week. That's what it was, upset of the week. All three of those in the same weekend. Very, very bittersweet moment. Last one of the three. But uh, very exciting to uh, to get into all three of those. The four playoff games, or all three of those as well as the other one. The four playoff games this weekend. Also, Antonio Pierce hired full-time by the Las Vegas Raiders. I will detail why that is the absolute right decision by the Raiders front office for Vegas. Uh, and what's next for them and potential, uh, potentially trying to get back to, uh, to, to Raiders football to that standard. They have not won a playoff game in over 20 years. And hopefully for their sake, Antonio Pierce can get them to that mountaintop as long as it isn't ex at the expense of the Pittsburgh Steelers also top eight quarterbacks top eight quarterbacks in the NFL left in the postseason I've seen a lot of lists today I saw a top five by someone I I, I genuinely respect on ESPN yesterday uh and I was like ah, I don't know if I, I don't know if I like that saw somebody on FS1 today uh put together a top eight I'm like the heck is that oh what are we doing so I'm gonna give you my top eight and it's the best top eight you will see. Top eight quarterbacks left in the National Football League postseason. So, again, tons to get into. NFL, a uh, lot to discuss uh, in that regard. Also, as well, forgot to mention this, why, after my McCarthy topic, why Josh Allen versus Patrick Mahomes, it's not a rivalry. But it could be. And I will detail, detail, detail that in a second ahead of what is expected to be a huge matchup. Maybe an all-timer between two of the best in the game today. But first, got to start with those old Dallas Cowboys, don't we? So, Jerry Jones is bringing Mike McCarthy back. That's the long story short. It was announced Wednesday, about an hour, hour and a half or so after our show on Wednesday. Uh, there's been a lot of reaction over the last 48 hours. Hey, what does this mean for Dallas? Why did they bring McCarthy back? Et cetera, et cetera. But I was thinking about this today. And even the last 48 hours, but especially today. Like, okay, what is the case for Jerry to bring Mike McCarthy back? I'm like, okay, he's, listen, Dak did have the best season of his career under Mike McCarthy, so that's fair. He's won, he's had three straight 12-1 seasons. Every single year, Dak's been healthy. They've been to the playoffs. And the offense is good, despite not having a no, true number two receiver to CeeDee Lamb. And there's some positives there. Those factored in but they're not the leading factor. What we can now say, right, let me get not to get ahead of myself. 
I've detailed over the last week or so, especially last week, I, I, I joked last week was like the week of coaches. Hirings, firings, retirements. It was like just crazy. Vrabel and Pete Carroll and Saban retired and Belichick's out of New England and there's crazy, crazy stuff going on right now in the National Football League. Jim Harbaugh, who knows what happens with him? It is the deepest coaching market I can ever remember in my lifetime. It's unbelievable, the candidates that are available. And some would say, why not fire McCarthy when you could have some of these guys that have been successful as they've been? I think we should do a 180. I think we should flip that in its head. Is it possible, and I believe it is, not just possible, but probably likely, that the reason McCarthy is not out of Dallas is because those candidates are on the market. You're like, Bryson, what do you mean by that? Let me explain. Mike Vrabel is a no-nonsense guy. He's a culture builder, and the Titans loved him. Belichick, resume speaks for itself. We don't need to get into that. Pete Carroll, resume speaks for itself. Super Bowl title, no-nonsense guy, defensive coach. Okay, you got that. Jim Harbaugh, kind of rubs people the wrong way, but he wins everywhere he goes. San Diego, San Diego State, wherever it was. Uh, Stanford, then the Niners, then Michigan. Like, takes over pretty cruddy situations and turns them into powerhouses. That's Jim Harbaugh. You know, kind of a different personality. Sort of rubs people the wrong way, but it works. Players love him. Very strong personalities on the market this go-around. Ben Johnson, even, who has no head coaching experience, is one of the hot candidates on the market. He is not going to be the Detroit Lions in 2024. I can guarantee you that. Reports say he's commanding up to $15 million a year, which I believe would put him among the top five highest paid head coaches. So Ben Johnson is going to stick up for himself. Ben Johnson's saying, yeah, I'm good enough to be one of the highest paid coaches of the league, and I haven't coached the game yet as a head coach. Jerry sees that and is like, oh, that's that's going to be a threat to, to the power structure in Dallas. Ooh, that's going to be a – that's going to take the attention off me, the shine off me. Ooh, I don't want to do that. And so by doing so, he he convinces himself, well, I mean, McCarthy's won three. He's had three straight seasons of 12 wins. Does have a playoff on his resume. Dak had the best year of his career last year. Is going to finish second for MVP. Like, you know, the offense was kind of just Dak and CeeDee Lamb, and we were still number one in virtually every category. Let's bring him back because Mike's not going to push back. Neither did Jason Garrett or Chan Gailey or Wade Phillips. The two that did... Sorry, the three that did, obviously Jimmy Johnson, chief among them all, one of the greatest head coaches, college or pro, ever. Yep. Booted him after back-to-back -back Super Bowls. I always use the example. Can you imagine? If Clark Hunt fires Andy Reid if the Chiefs go back-to-back -back this year, it doesn't even compute. But then again, logic and common sense rarely do regarding the Dallas Cowboys and their owner. Barry Switzer pushed back against Jerry. You're out of here. And again, some of that was the, was the failures of the team, but that factored in as well. Bill Parcells, after a while, I can't take it anymore. Jerry wants T.O. I don't want T.O. Yeah, I guess Jerry's going to overrule me. I'm out. And that was, that was it for Bill Parcells' coaching career. Despite being one of the best ever, despite taking over a Dallas situation that was a mess and getting him to the playoffs pretty quickly. Jerry understands he can control McCarthy. What we can... Now, with this decision, because this was kind of a fork in the road moment for the Cowboys as a franchise. Like, what? okay, what's what do we do moving forward? 
because this year was the best opportunity since 1995 to win a Super Bowl outside of maybe 2007 because they had the one seed and played the six seed Giants and blew it. Whatever. Two seed. Weakest NFC I can remember. I Honest to God. You had a home game against the inexperienced Packers. You would then have had a home game against either the Lions, who haven't won a road playoff game, I don't think, in the Super Bowl era, or against the Eagles, who are floundering at that point. Then you see what happens in the NFC title game when you probably play San Francisco. But even still, you lose to the Niners in, in, in the NFC title game? Okay, you know, it sucks, but we can get, finally get to the NFC title game. We can build next year. You can make the case. First year, McCarthy makes the playoffs. Wild card loss. Second year, divisional round loss. Third year, NFC title game loss. We can build off that. Except that's obviously not what happened. They got throttled by an inexperienced Green Bay team, and they looked out, out-coached, out-schemed, and overwhelmed in every way, shape, and form. Head coach at the top of the list. This is a fork in the road moment for Dallas. And Jerry did what he's done for the last 30 years since Jimmy Johnson was fired. He put ego, he put brand, he put control, he put credit above winning. Because that's what Jerry Jones has done since the day he fired Jimmy Johnson. That's been the story of the Dallas Cowboys for the last three decades. Honestly, why should we be shocked? This is what it's always been in Dallas with that guy running the operation since he fired Jimmy Johnson. McCarthy's in the last year of his, of his contract. He's not going to push back against Jerry. He's not going to do that. Jerry still gets to be the GM. He still gets to make personnel decisions. And he still gets to take credit when things go well. And still have those radio interviews and have press pools as if he was Michael Jackson outside of the Cowboys locker room. That's Jerry Jones. That's the culture he's built in Dallas. And nobody fits that better than Mike McCarthy. Now, I don't want to make it sound like Mike McCarthy's a bad coach. Uh, I would move on. I've talked about th- this on Wednesday. I would move on from Nick Sirianni in a heartbeat, especially given the head coaches that are in the market in some ways because of it. But again, with McCarthy, I'd move him too. He's a solid coach. He's a B-level coach, B-minus level coach. I mean, listen, Dallas did have the number one offensive league. Dak had the best year of his career. And I said all season long, I hate McCarthy's play calling. Dak never did this with Kellen Moore. Now, Herbert had a down year by his standards. Why? Kellen Moore was the OC. So Kellen Moore does that to a lot of quarterbacks. McCarthy did a pretty good job with Dak. Led the league in touchdown passes. Led the league in completion percentage. Now, a lot of that's Dak's being Dak, but McCarthy helped that too. CeeDee Lamb had the best season of his career. So again, there was a case. Sure. If I were the Carolina Panthers and Mike McCarthy wanted to coach my team, I'd take him. I'd take him. Develop Bryce Young, you know, develop a good offense, and then move on from McCarthy in three to four years for a different guy, a transition guy, so to speak. Dallas, their owner, is cool with the status quo. You can now no longer say, and I don't think I've ever said this, I think my thing with Jerry is, Jerry wants to win. People are like, oh, Jerry doesn't want to win. I've, I've always said, no, Jerry wants to win as long as he gets the credit. I almost think Jerry's completely aware that this team, Jerry's not dumb. He didn't become as rich as he is, multi-billionaire, by being an idiot. He knows what he's doing. I think Jerry knows deep down, chances that this thing gets back to the top that it did in the early to mid-90s, probably not going to happen. Probably not going to happen. But hey, still the most valuable franchise. 
still on national television, still on Thanksgiving Day. And you think I'm crazy. Remember when Jerry Jones said, after the Cowboys beat the Washington Commanders 45-10, to 10, I believe that was the final score. Yes, Dallas won 45-10 over the awful Commanders. When Jerry Jones was quoted as saying, I can't remember a better day being associated with the Dallas Cowboys than today. A Thanksgiving Day win over the second worst team in football. That's the bar now in Dallas, and that's where their owner really cares. Why did he say that? Thanksgiving Day, standalone game. Dolly Parton at halftime. They beat out a rival. Most watched game of the year because Thanksgiving Day in Dallas is always the most watched game of the regular season. Hey, I mean, listen, as bad as it was to Green Bay, highest rated game of the playoffs so far. 40 million people watched that thing. You think Jerry Jones would rather win the Super Bowl um, with the 10th highest valued franchise or continue to be mediocre with the first? I think we kind of know the answer to that. So McCarthy, in essence, is a perfect representation of what Dallas is now. You got to submit to the owner or you're out. Notice Jerry and Dak have always had an icy relationship. Cordial, sure. Respectful of one another, but a little icy. Remember when Jerry told Dak at that press conference, I overpaid you? Remember that three years ago at the press conference? Because Dak doesn't submit to Jerry the way that Romo did. Now listen, Romo's cool, Jerry. That's their relationship. Whatever, that's that's their thing. Dak wasn't, and that's in many ways why Dak is as beloved as he is in the Cowboys locker room and earned the respect as a rookie. Because he went off going to parties with the Joneses and trying to... You know, hee-hee and ha-ha with the ownership group. Dak's like, no, I'm my own guy. I'm a team guy. I'm with my guys. I'm with my teammates. Jerry didn't like that. Why do you think the contract negotiation lasted as long as it did? You think Tony Romo would have had to go through that? I don't think so. This is the state of the Dallas Cowboys. That has all been caused by Gerald Wayne Jones. Some comments here. Uh, my man Philip is a Cowboys fan. He says, Cowboys fans just need to face it. Jerry will never change. He would like to win a Super Bowl, but his ego won't let that happen. That you know what? I agree, Philip. I think he would like to win the Super Bowl. It'd be a nice like bonus, but I think Jerry's at this point, he's 81 years old. Yeah, I've got my rings. You know, let's get richer. <laughs> you know, let's keep. And by the way, as an owner and businessman, Jerry's been phenomenal with the Cowboys. Branding. Uh, you, you know, whether we talk about Dallas more than any other team, regardless of playoff success, actually, I should probably phrase it, despite lack of playoff success, Jerry's done great there. His GM, he's been a disaster. Patrick Brown in the comments, Mike McCarthy knows he's on the hot seat. He could likely be fired sometime during the season. If he struggled through, say, eight games, nothing would surprise me. Well, listen, okay, if you fire McCarthy, who are you going to replace him with, Dan Quinn? I mean, why do you think Dan Quinn is, is – why did you think the report came out the other day? If Dan Quinn does not get a head coaching job, he will return as the defensive coordinator for the Cowboys. Yeah, duh. Yeah, Seattle and these teams probably saw that and were like, yeah, that's, uh, we, we, we can upgrade. We can do better. We can do better. He may still get the Seattle job. I don't know. I feel like that's the most likely destination for, for DQ, but in all likelihood, that's um, that's what's going to you know end up happening. So uh, hang on. Let's see. Because Jane Slater, who covers the Cowboys, oh, 
Hold on. I don't know. Okay, I don't know if y'all can hear the sound by. I don't. Okay. Okay. Here we go. So, uh, if we can pull this up here, uh, Mike McCarthy talking to the media. If we can pull this up, hang on. Sorry about this, folks. Get this. Uh, get this all situated right here. Okay. So, Mike McCarthy. This is him. Talk, I, I did because I did want to address this. Okay. This is Mike McCarthy talking to the media about, like, the message he wants to send to the fan base. If we can, hold on, sorry, for folks, we're dealing with some technical difficulties. Okay, all right, this is, okay, Jane Slater covers the Dallas Cowboys. She asked a question uh, to Mike McCarthy about what the fans should expect, and this, this was his answer. Jane. I ask this question as respectfully as possible, Coach, mm-hmm. but I've heard you talk about why fans should buy back into this team. Why should they buy back into you? And then as a second part of that, I think talking to players, it was clear they wanted you back. But what's, what was some of their feedback for you moving forward? Their feedback for me? I'm not sure what you're asking. Maybe some feedback in those evaluations. Oh, I mean, the, feed, the feedback's on every topic, every category that I talk about. So um, I think it's the confirmation of, um, you know, how we how we operate here. I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's training, uh, there's expectation, there's, you know, the development physically, the development mentally, and the development emotionally. In the emotional realm, you're always chasing, you know, because of the different, you know, maturity levels and different backgrounds that, that, that come into your into your culture each and every year. It's, you know, that's that's definitely the the arena um, that's the most challenging and, and, and definitely is something that, you know, we'll continue to focus on and, and, and definitely need to learn from this past experience. And why should fans buy back in? Yeah, because I I believe that uh, the the direction, you know, the leadership, um, everything is in place, and um, I'm not very comfortable talking about myself. But I came here to win a championship. I didn't come here to get another contract or um, anything other than that. Um, I came to Dallas to win the world championship, and that's why I'm standing here and um, buy into us. Scott, Scott Lewis with you. Okay, that one the soundbite I thought it was. I know at one part in the press conference, and, and props to Jane for asking, you know, very hard-hitting questions because that's what great journalists do. Um, but there's at one point in the press conference and McCarthy said that we build a championship program here. Huh? <laughs> what? What? what cha- hey, Mike, you're not even the best team in your own state. Okay, Houston won a playoff game, one by 30, over a pretty hot Cleveland team. And you know, we'll see what they do in Baltimore. Again, my predictions uh, at the end of the at the end of the show for divisional weekend. But I, I saw that guy, that quote. I'm like, hey, that's that's not the. I, I, I don't know if I would have said <laughs> said that out loud, Mike. That's probably not the the greatest uh, you know quote. Uh, John Rivera's in the comments. I see he's got a he's got a, something there. I, I don't know, John. John, if if an emoji didn't because sometimes sometimes this streamyard thing can be odd with not allowing certain characters like emojis stuff like that um on the show but we'll see but uh appreciate john for being in the in the comments appreciate everybody for watching the show again like i said brand new look uh for carving up live design by the one and the only ryan flowers who hosts clutch hosts clutch sports talk every sunday morning during the national football league season uh yeah john rivera says salute well, i appreciate that john john thank you very much salute to you my man fan perspective podcast john 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 rivera henny dre check their stuff out man subscribe to their channel Social media, fan perspective. You get John Jay. You need to get. You, I need to get you back on the show again, John Jay. We got to do that. All right. Uh, I did want to shift though from 
mediocrity to greatness. That's that's always a, a good transition, not just on shows, but in life. That's 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 what we do. That's what we hope to accomplish. Uh, but before we do that, it looks like we've got a comment by Patrick. Jerry doesn't want to be challenged, neither do the players. Nobody has the guts to push the right buttons and bring out the dog in them. Yeah, it, it's... I don't know if I totally agree. Yeah, shout out to John John. He says I'm ready. Thank you, John John. Uh, I, I don't know if all the players, some of them, uh, you know, there's a guy who wears number 11. That I, I'm not even going to touch on it. Uh, you know, my, my guy Barry Grant Jr., I'll even, I think, I think is going live tonight. I could be wrong with that. I think Barry's going live tonight. Barry's got it, okay? I ain't going to say nothing, but, you know. He's he he he's got it. He's but he's gonna be hundred percent right because we talked about it the uh, earlier today. But I think it's I don't think it's as much of a player thing as much as the culture thing because the culture sets the standard in terms of what is expected from the players. Well, if there's not the Super Bowl culture, why do you expect <laughs> why do you expect the the uh, the focus for the players to be any different? Um, Dak, come to Pittsburgh, buddy. We need you. Okay, speaking of quarterbacks and speaking of. Of a, a great ones. Let's talk about the game Sunday night, the nightcap, the game of the weekend. As great as some of the games are, uh, Buccaneers Lions gonna be a fun one. Uh, this is the this is the the highlight event. Okay, this is this is the one we're all looking forward to. This is probably gonna be the highest rated game, the two best, the best quarterback matchup by far this weekend, no question about it. Although Stroud Lamar is pretty good, this is as good as it gets. Mahomes versus Allen, part three in the playoffs at least. Now. This has been a matchup. So the first matchup, obviously, 2020. Uh, Kansas City, it was the AFC title game. Kansas City won in blowout fashion. Chiefs were the defending champions at the time. Buffalo was kind of the up-and-coming team at that point. Josh had an MVP caliber season, got to the AFC title game loss. But for Buffalo, it was kind of like, okay, we can build off of this. You know, we can we can, we can, can continue to progress and, and try and move forward to, to our first Super Bowl championship. Kansas City did what they were supposed to do at home. Well, the next year was the, maybe the greatest playoff game of all time that it wasn't a Super Bowl. And I don't think I'm, I don't think that's being hyperbolic. Mahomes versus Allen in 2021, just back and forth. We knew that whoever got the ball last was going to win the game. Ultimately, that was Patrick, and ultimately the Chiefs got the W, 42-36 to in OT in what was an insane game. We can only hope for something half as good as that on Sunday, although who knows when you ever get, you get these two on the same field. But this game's going to be on Buffalo. This is going to be Patrick Mahomes' first game on the road uh, in the playoffs. And it's fitting that it does come against the Bills. But there is a narrative being pushed and has been pushed for some time that this is somehow the next great quarterback rivalry. And, and I bought it, by the way, full disclosure, two years ago on the show, I bought into this, and I was wrong, is that Mahomes Allen is like the new Brady Manning or something. You know it's not. And again, I, I, this is a take I had two years ago that it was. It's, it's not. It's, it's just flatly not. For two reasons. One is pretty darn simple, uh, and this is this part is is subjective. The next is not, but this part is subjective. I view a rivalry as back and forth, tug of war. You get me sometimes, I get you others. Prime example: Lakers Celtics in the eighties. Like that's that's a rivalry. Yankees Red Sox in the early two thousands. That's a rivalry. Alabama Auburn over the last decade. That's a rivalry. You know. Golden State, Memphis, that's, come on now, that's not a rivalry. Uh, that's not a rivalry. Golden State's played Memphis twice in the playoffs last decade, beat them both times. Like, it's not a rivalry. I always use that as, a, as the example of what isn't a rivalry in the NBA. Golden State, Cleveland, though, great rivalry. Golden State, Houston, come on. Golden State played Houston four times, beat them all four times, not a rivalry. Okay, very one-sided. Can't be completely one-sided. 
Uh, it has been one-sided. Now, only two matchups, but the Chiefs have won both, both games. And Mahomes outplayed Josh Allen in both games. Great as Josh was, and obviously we know he out, Mahomes outplayed him in 2020. Great as, as Josh was in 2021, uh, Mahomes was better. I think he threw for more yards, uh, had just as many, if not more, touchdowns. Like Mahomes either played him to a draw or outplayed him straight up. That's number one, because just how I define the word rivalry. The second one is not subjective. It is just blatant facts. Brady versus Manning was such a great rivalry, not just because it was back and forth, because of how accomplished they were from the jump. From the jump. Brady, first year as a starter, won a Super Bowl. Years three and four as a starter, he won more Super Bowls. And that was kind of always the knock on Peyton Manning. Oh, he can't win the big game. And obviously, it took Peyton Manning until year nine to get his first Super Bowl. But Peyton, within the first five years of, uh, sorry, six years of his career, got an MVP. Then he got another MVP. Then four years after that, he got another MVP. And then the MVP the next year. And then four years after that, he got another most valuable player, Tom. How Tom only got three MVPs is beyond me, but Tom got three MVPs in his career. Two when he combined nine Super Bowls and eight most valuable player awards. In terms of hardware, Mahomes Allen, Mahomes is all of it. He has all of it. Two MVPs, two Super Bowls, uh, two Super Bowl wins, two Super Bowl MVPs. Beat Allen both times. Josh has no Super Bowl appearances. Josh has no MVPs. Josh has, obviously, again, no Super Bowl appearances, therefore no more, no Super Bowl titles. That's not to diminish Josh. He's one of the five best quarterbacks in the face of God's green earth and can play, we literally saw it two years ago, can play Mahomes toe-to-toe, throw for throw. And very well, we might see that on Sunday. It's not a quarterback rivalry. If And again, that was the debate. Well, Brady's got more rings, but Brady also has the better defense. And then to which, you know, that's what Peyton fans would say. But Brady fans would say, yeah, Peyton's got all these MVPs because he's got all these weapons. Tom doesn't really have that many weapons relative to what Peyton had. It was kind of like a back and forth, okay? But there was a legitimate argument for both. What's the argument? Allen has a better arm than Mahomes, but Mahomes more accurate. Mahomes is way, 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 way less reckless. Mahomes appears to be more coachable. Mahomes has done more with less in his career. We saw what he's done this year with an older Travis Kelsey, an ascending Rasheed Rice, but still rookie, and a bunch of guys. MVS, Tony, who's been a liability rather than a strength. Like, that's kind of what we've what we've seen from Mahomes. By the way, people are like, oh, finally, Allen gets the game on his home field. Well, part of the reason he hasn't had it on his home field is because Mahomes keeps getting these home games. Mahomes has been so good as to get these home games. So it's not a rivalry for two reasons. Number one, rivalry, in my in my definition, maybe yours is different, that's fine, is there has to be a back and forth. You got to get me at least one time. At least one time. Like, I'm thinking, as time goes on, I think Mahomes, you know, knock on wood for Burrow so that he stays healthy. Mahomes-Burrow could be the next rivalry. Mahomes, Burrow got Mahomes in an AFC title game. Then Mahomes, a year later, came back, got Burrow. We've seen him the back and forth, the tug of war. Burrow, by the way. Never lost to Mahomes in the regular season. So, like, you have that sort of that component, but then Mahomes has the hardware, the MVPs, the Super Bowls. Allen has none of that. He's, he's, he has none of that. That's not to diminish Josh. He's a top-five quarterback, one of the best quarterbacks talent-wise we've seen this generation. He's not on Patrick's level. He may beat him. He may outplay him in doing so, and I think he will have to outplay him in order to beat him. This could be a fantastic football game. 
But this notion that, oh, this is Brady uh, Manning, this generation's Brady, the 2020s version of Brady Manning. It is not. It's, it's literally not. Forget Super Bowl appearances. Folks, Allen has one AFC title game appearance. One. Enough two if he wins on Sunday. But thus far, he's got one. Mahomes, he's never not been to the AFC title game as the starter. If the Chiefs lose this year, think about this, folks, just for a moment. If the Chiefs lose this year, no. If the Chiefs lose on Sunday, it's the worst year in the Patrick Mahomes era. Fewest wins, for, and, and most importantly, the, the, uh, the shortest playoff run they've had. Lost the divisional round. If the Bills win and they lose next week against the Ravens or the Texans, it'll tie them for the best year in the Josh Allen era. There are levels to this. That's not to say, see, what people misconstrue so often is that when you're comparing one great against another great, but one is obviously better, you have to, you almost feel like you have to diminish the other great player, but you also simultaneously say, but he's still amazing. Like you have to get like, you know, I've used example. Um, that would be like if you went to a, a movie theater and saw, gosh, what's a good example? I don't know. Say you saw the the Super Mario Brothers movie. Remember that movie that came out this past summer? Say you went out and saw that. And I haven't seen it yet for the record. But say you left the theater. That was a good movie. And your 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 friend or whoever you went with was like, yeah, that was just as good as Forrest Gump. Or that was just as good as Saving Private Ryan or something. Okay, let's dial it back a little bit. You know, let's let's calm down. Like, let's not overreact. It was good. Now, Alan's not good. Alan's amazing. Mahomes is. Mount Rushmore. All time. Mount Rushmore. My view, it's Brady in this order. Brady, Montana, Manning, Mahomes. He's already accomplished more than virtually every quarterback in history outside of those three. There's levels to this. We got some comments here. John Rivera. This is surprising for coming from a Jets fan. He says, I want the Bills to win. Okay. And he says, if the Bills win, it could be. It could be right... No, it's not could be John John. If the Bills win, it is a rivalry. It's officially a rivalry. The Bills got Kansas City. Like it was a, we stared you down straight up in the playoffs. We beat you guys. Now we can look eye to eye as teams, as quarterbacks in a rivalry. Now Mahomes will still be better. It's, let's, let's not get carried away here. He's still accomplished way more than Josh has accomplished. But still, they can look eye to eye and say, okay, we're going to be going toe to toe against each other over the next few years. And, one guy doesn't own the other. Brady never owned Manning. Manning never owned Brady. Some numbers favor Tom. Some numbers favor Peyton. But it was a back and forth, tug of war. If Mahomes wins Sunday, now it's 3-0. You know, it's not a tug of war. It's it's it's. I've got the rope, and I'm like literally like the guy's just like on the floor. He can't, or on the ground, he can't, he can't drag it anymore. He's tired. That's what that would be. Patrick Brown. Josh Allen has to seize the moment on Sunday. Well, as I said on Wednesday's show, Buffalo's never had a better opportunity. Kansas City's never been weaker with Mahomes. They've never been stronger on defense, but offensively, which is their bread and butter, Mahomes, Reed, Kelsey, they've never been weaker. You've got the game at home. Your quarterback has played very well the last month, month and a half. You finally have a running game. Your coach is pressing all the right buttons. It looks like you have some legit receivers outside of digs. Josh didn't turn the ball over last week against my Steelers, which I found highly impressive given he could be reckless. Never had a better opportunity. Never. Buffalo's never been a more well-rounded team under Josh, or with Josh, rather. 
And Kansas City's never been weaker on offense with Mahomes than this year. Can't get him this year. I'm not sure when you're going to get him. I, I, I don't. It'll be a fun one, though. I can't wait. Nance and Romo on the call. It'll be good. It'll be really, no, it won't be good. I think it's going to be great, a great game. Not going to spoil my pick yet, but I think it's going to be close down the wire like, like the last one was. And like some of the regular season matchups have been between these two. Okay. Um, so the Raiders, speaking of the Chiefs, let's talk about the AFC West. The Raiders announced today that they have, and Schefter, Adam Schefter reported, that the Las Vegas Raiders have hired Antonio Pierce to be their full-time head coach. Now, Antonio Pierce was the interim head coach for the Raiders for the last nine games of the season. Josh McDaniels uh, was fired after they lost on Monday Night Football. I think it was 26-14 to the Detroit Lions. They fired McDaniels, brought in Antonio Pierce, and the Raiders played significantly better, particularly on defense, which I'll get into in just a moment. But they brought him in now, and they're going to be—he's going to be the new head coach, so or the full-time head coach, rather. So, first of all, props to the Raiders for doing something for not making the same mistake they did a couple of years ago. Remember when they fired John Gruden? There was the controversy there. The locker room team spirit was off, and then we know what happened with Henry Ruggs. There were some other off-the-field issues with players, and it's like I said, it's, to me, it's the best year of Derek Carr's career, given what he did under the circumstances. But Rich Bisaccia, longtime special teams guy. Comes in, interim head coach, leads the Raiders to the playoffs. I remember they were six and seven, won four straight, got in the playoffs, almost beat Cincinnati in a playoff game. It was a very impressive coaching job. But they moved on from Basaccia to, ah, it's a Belichick assistant, Josh McDaniels. I mean, I know his tenure in Denver was a disaster. There's no way that's going to happen in Vegas. Well, it wasn't as bad as it was in Denver. There was no cheating scandals, but it was pretty bad. They, they were not a very good football team under Josh McDaniels. Traded the quarterback. Butchered some picks. It wasn't good. Defense still sucked. And we know the story. I talked about it on my show about how Antonio Pierce sort of started, sort of started to kind of win over the guys in the Vegas locker room. Is that Josh McDaniels was making a speech in front of the team. He invited Antonio Pierce to kind of speak in front of the team, like, hey, Coach Pierce, you, you like you say something, whatever. And Antonio Pierce gets up there and it's like, Ooh, who's this guy? Like they obviously knew knew him. He's in the building, but like. Man, this dude knows how to command a room. At least how the report said. And at one point in the speech, in the address to the players, Pierce brought up about how the Giants were the underdogs back in 07, New York Giants, who he played for. He was a linebacker for. They were underdogs, blah, blah, blah. And we beat the Giant. We slayed the Dragon, the undefeated Patriots, who Josh McDaniels was the offensive coordinator for. Well, that rubbed Josh the wrong way because evidently he, Appeared to be kind of sensitive about that. And there was a disconnect between the two, which led to a disconnect between McDaniels and the team. They fired McDaniels, made Pierce the guy, and the Raiders played infinitely better. We're in the playoff hunt for, for a little bit there at the end of the season. Despite, no disrespect, but despite having Aiden O'Connell at quarterback, and aside from Max Crosby, kind of limited talent defensively. As far as the stats are concerned, let's go and look at that real quick, just because I think that's... That matters. That's important. As far as the stats are concerned, the difference in Vegas before Pierce and since Pierce took over night and day. We'll put the stats up right here. Uh, it's 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 pretty it's it's pretty outstanding. Okay, so before Pierce became the interim head coach, they had a three and three and five record. Actually, let's just do the comparison. Before Pierce became interim head coach, the Raiders were three and five. When he took over, they went five and four. Offensively, they averaged fifteen point eight points per game. When he took over. They went to 22.9 points per game. Defensively, they averaged giving up 23.4 points per game. This is very important. I'll get into this in just a second. 
They averaged giving up 23 points a game. When he took over, they averaged giving up 16 points a game. Basically, a whole touchdown. Before he took over, they had 16 sacks. After he took over, they almost doubled that, 30 sacks. Before he took over, they had one single defensive touchdown. After he took over, they had four. Before he took over, they had 44 penalties. After he took over, 31 in one more game. And finally, this is probably the starkest contrast. Before he took over, they had a point, they had a point differential of minus 61. After he took over, they had a point differential of plus 62. A 120-point difference. 120-point-plus difference in the two. So they were clearly, the numbers tell you right there, they were a better football team with him over the team, uh, you know, over that locker room. But I think what you see with Antonio Pierce is two key things that are the qualities of what can make a good head coach. And obviously, nine-game sample size, it's small, but he did a good job, especially with the talent he had. Number one, and this has always been, like, this is, there's not a, like, I just talked about McCarthy earlier. There's not a good case to keep McCarthy, but if you tried to make it, one of the cases, one of the things you would say is, well, Cowboys are elite offensively. Now, not in the playoffs, but you could say, I mean, Dak had the best season of his career. I say that because McCarthy's an offensive guy. And if you can't specialize in your side of the ball, Colin Coward said this, I always quote him when I say that. When you can't specialize on your side of the ball, why do I keep you? If you can't specialize in what you're good at, what are you doing here? Antonio Pierce is a defensive guy. And the defense, put up the numbers one more time. 30 sacks, four defensive touchdowns, only gave up 16 points per game. Defense was good, especially relative to what it was before he took over. Completely different football team on that side of the ball. So he specializes inside. So that's a check in the column for Antonio Pierce. But the second thing might be just as important, if not more so. What we are seeing right now um, in the National Football League, particularly with a head coach who resides in Detroit, Michigan, and I think in terms of X's and O's, Pierce exceeds Dan Campbell in that regard. But what Dan Campbell did is he took over a dead franchise with no life, no hope, and not an ounce of momentum. They traded Stafford that offseason. And he got them to believe. And it sounds so freaking cliche. It cannot be overstated how important that is. That locker room, that fo- that Raiders football team, they were dead. No hope. AFC West, Kansas City, everybody knew was going to win it. Denver was starting to get their act together. The Chargers at least had Justin Herbert at that point. Raiders had the least momentum of anybody in the division. And their head coach took over that and built a culture of belief. How many times you see you see that Vegas locker room after games? Players dancing and Max Crosby, Devontae Adams smoking cigars, having a good time. They bought in. It's what I've said about Nick Sirianni in, in Philadelphia. You can lose games. You can't lose a locker room. He lost that locker room in Philadelphia. They stopped believing. They stopped caring, and they stopped giving, giving a good effort. You, you saw Philadelphia and Tampa Bay. They didn't care. Effort was terrible. It was an F, F type of, of performance, F type of effort by the Philadelphia Eagles. Whether the Raiders won or lost, the effort was off the charts. And that's the mark of a team that believes in their head coach and plays for their head coach. That, to me, is the biggest key. That, to me, is the biggest reason to bring Antonio Pierce back. By the way, there were also reports, Schefter was all over this, Adam Schefter at ESPN, that 
it would have been like a mutiny in the Raiders locker room had they decided to hire somebody else. A mutiny. It'd have been like, what are you doing? We like you probably would have had Max Crosby would have requested a trade. Devontae would have asked out. Were the Raiders on top of the world crushing everybody? Well, the Chargers, they did. But in general, not really. When you get a locker room to believe, when you specialize in your side of the ball, and when you, this is just kind of like a bonus points for, for Antonio Pierce, when you take over a franchise with no momentum, and all of a sudden, Raiders fans feel feeling pretty good about their football team today. You got to hire that guy. As great as the market is, as great as it is, as bigger names in the market, there are exceptions like what you see in Las Vegas, Nevada right now with the Raiders. You can't, you always get the, the buy-in. Not that you wouldn't have with Vrabel or Belichick or, or you know, Jim Harbaugh. Not that you wouldn't have with those guys, but you already had it. You see a small sample size of what you can be. Now, now that he's the guy, for me at least, the next step has to be, He's got to build a, a good staff, and particularly a good offensive staff. Because what we see with defensive coaches who don't specialize in the offensive side of the ball, see D'Amico Ryans in Houston. He's done an A-plus job of this. He's like, hey, I'm a defensive guy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to employ was, uh, Slovic is the, is the offensive coordinator for the Texans, comes from the Shanahan system. I'm going to make that guy my OC. I'm going to worry about the defense. Look what the Houston Texans are today. That's what I think you need from the Las Vegas Raiders. Not only, again, it's the Raiders are basically a less talented version to me of my Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't think there's a matter of fact, I know for a fact they're not as talented as Pittsburgh because we saw them in the week three, Pittsburgh outplayed them with Kenny Pickett. Um, Pittsburgh needs to hire a creative OC and draft a quarterback. So do the Raiders. Now, if they do that, if they do that, <laughs> who says the Raiders can't make the playoffs in that AFC? You know your defense could be good. Finally. Remember I always said about Derek Carr when I defended Derek Carr all those years in the, with the Raiders that, man, could you get Derek Carr a top 20 defense? And they couldn't do it. Dare I say they might have a top 10. Forget 20. They might have a top 10 defense with this guy. Some of the messages, some of the, the stats say they do, as I just detailed. Props to the Las Vegas Raiders, man. They, they, they made a mistake by not hiring Basaccia. After 2021, after he took over as the interim and built a, a kind of a culture, not to the level Pierce did, but built a culture, got the players to buy in, got them to the playoffs. And they brought in the, I'll say this in big time air quotes, the more qualified guy, the Belichick guy. And it was a disaster. He brought in a guy who relates the players, players coach. Look at the Raiders today. A lot of momentum. Let's look at the comments here. John Rivera, Raiders finally made the right decision. Yeah, the key word, finally. Uh, that's that's a good way to put it. They've they've made a lot of poor ones. Now, listen, Mark Davis still does own the team, and he's had his struggles. Uh, they've went through GM after GM, coach after coach. We understand that, but uh, in general, this is this is the first great day to be a Raiders fan in quite some time. Uh, yeah, Patrick brings up Sirianni. Uh, he does not like Sirianni. Nick Sirianni is a fanboy who acts like a high school coach. Uh, I've act, I've seen high school coaches, um, Patrick, act better than Sirianni. It's bad when players who are younger than him act more mature. Uh, and Patrick, great point here, Patrick. I'm finally, I'm happy to see a black coach finally get an opportunity to be a head coach. It was the right move. And Antonio Pierce is their guy moving forward. Antonio Pierce, we saw Gerard Mayo who had a phenomenal press conference in New England uh, the other day. Gerard Mayo, by the way, Tennessee guy, go Vols. Um, had a great press conference. And that, yeah, that's that's what you are increasingly seeing. And I hope that continues that, you know, not going to get our hopes. How, I mean, how many black coaches are in the, the NFL right now? Obviously, Tomlin, 
um, Mike McDaniel, I believe. Um, those two. Uh, I don't know if Salah. I don't think Salah is African American. I could be wrong on that. But let's just let's do minority head coaches. So Miami Jets, Patriots, Pittsburgh. That's four. Houston. Scrolling down the list. Vegas now. That's six. Let's see. Looking down the list. Looking here. Tampa Bay with Bulls. Tampa Bay. Uh, Washington fired Rivera, so he's gone. Yeah, those seven. So seven teams. So, again, not even a quarter of the league, and we've heard the stats. I've, I've written papers about this at school in the past, about how you know X, the, the X percentage of the players are black, X amount of the coaches are black, like it doesn't even out. Uh, like that's, that's kind of what we're seeing. So there you go. Yeah, those seven, but... And we need to see more opportunities. And the fact that the Raiders and Patriots have done so is um, is a credit to them. And again, like people, you, you know how folks are. You know how folks are. That, oh, you're just, uh, you know, oh, you're, you're hiring him just because he's, no, no, no. Hire him because he's the best guy for the job. Like he, Belichick can pick Drob Mayo to be a successor years ago. It's been well documented. Uh, Antonio Pierce, clearly the right guy for the Raiders job. And that's something too, like hiring the guy that's right for your culture. For what you're trying to build. You know, Antonio Pierce probably wouldn't be the perfect fit for, think of a team, the Atlanta Falcons. Like, their defense is set. Offense it has a lot of talent. They need an offensive guy. Raiders need a defensive guy. If he employs a good offensive staff, drafts a quarterback, look out for the Raiders, man. They could be scary. But giving the right, giving the best guy for the job the opportunity. That's, I know that's a, a concept that some pretend to adopt. Few actually do. Raiders, props to them. They did that. Um, it's not a hard concept. Bill, uh, Bruce Arians talked about that years ago. Like it's it, like hire the best guy for the job. You know, it's it's not not a crazy concept. It really isn't. If you're really really about giving opportunities to people, all right, and making your team better. Okay, so we have some great quarterbacks, and I talked about yesterday left in the playoffs. Uh, that is. I talked about this yesterday that I think this is these playoffs. Seven of the eight quarterbacks are first rounders. Seven of the eight. And obviously the only the only exception is Brock Purdy, who it's so funny. First rounders and then Purdy. Purdy wasn't a fourth round guy, fifth round. No, he wouldn't even just any seventh round guy. He was Mr. Irrelevant. He was the last pick of the draft. So I'm just go to show you, man. Finding a quarterback, never know where it could come. But we got eight quarterbacks left. Many of them, well, all of them are highly productive. Uh, many of them, so uh, more than half, I would consider elite, and then a few I consider like, like top three, four, five level. So we got eight left, though. So where do we rank it? If we can get the background music going on right now, this is not, by the way, this is not officially Bryce's best. It is simply a rankings of quarterbacks. So. We will start at number eight. A guy I've doubted his entire career, but I bought into this season. But at number eight, it is Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield is the eighth best quarterback left in the playoffs, and here's why. So Baker is a guy who didn't work in Cleveland, let him go to Carolina, which was a disaster because Carolina's a disaster. But then he goes to the Rams, kind of rebuilds his reputation a little bit. 
teams around the league feel better about signing him as sort of like a bridge guy, which I think, honest to God, is what Tampa Bay was trying to do. We're going to sign Baker. He's going to be our quarterback this year. Then we're going to draft a guy in 2024. Baker said, in Lee Corso style, not so fast. What I'm going to do, I'm going to have a statistically better season than Brady did last year, replacing Brady. I'm going to get us to the playoffs, do it. Brady couldn't win a playoff game. All of a sudden, Tampa Bay, you got some folks picking him to go to the, to go to the NFC title game with Baker Mayfield. He's cut the turnovers down. He's been efficient. He's been accurate. If some of his receivers could have caught some more passes on Monday night, God knows what further damage they could have done to Philadelphia. Love what Baker's doing. I do think there's some limitations to him in terms of mobility, but he's he's playing into what he's great at. So is the OC with the Tampa Bay Bucks, and they've obviously got some great weapons. Baker Mayfield, you are the eighth best quarterback in the playoffs left. Almost said the National Football because I'm so used to that. He left in the playoffs. At number seven, the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers, it is Jordan Love. Jordan Love, the seventh best quarterback left in the NFL playoffs. Here's why. So Jordan has been, he went from like low-end starter, high-end backup, as I call it, territory, excuse me, the first half of the season to the second half being like, this dude's like a top five quarterback. Now, he's not a top five quarterback. He played like a top five quarterback, though. 20-ish touchdowns, had only one interception, pass rating through the roof, QBR great. So Jordan Love passed the eye test in many ways, passed the statistic of the box score test uh, in many ways over the entire second half of the season. Goes into Dallas. We get there. There's some personnel issues with the Cowboys and some play calling issues. But by and large, it's still pretty darn good defense. Talents defense. And just ripped him up. Carved him up, to use the name of this show. But Jordan Love, live arm. Very mobile. Uh, is, is accurate. Is, is proved his accuracy. Literally from like Tim Tebow level to freaking Joe Burrow level. And he's not as accurate as Burrow, but he's played like it over the last nine games. And you talk about a guy in Jordan Love who the off-platform throws remind you so much of Aaron Rodgers, he's got, listen, he puts a scare into this Niners defense. I'll predict this these games in just a second. This Niners defense is loaded. He can make some plays on him. We see what he's capable of. We saw what he did against Dallas. We saw what he did in the eight games prior to that. Jordan Love, the seventh best quarterback left in the playoffs at number six. It is sturdy Brock Purdy. Purdy is the sixth best quarterback left in the playoffs, and here's why. So Purdy stands are going to be eyes too low. Purdy haters gonna say, or yeah, Purdy haters gonna say, oh, he's too high. He should be at number eight. Okay, six is best. I have Purdy around a top 12. I'll do rankings at the end of the year. Around a top 12, 13 level quarterback in the National Football League. That's where I think he's at. Uh, I think he's a guy who is mobile. Most mobile quarterback Shanahan's had to be successful in that Niners offense. Uh, good arm, not a great arm, but a fine arm. Very accurate. Anticipation thrower. He's elite at those things. My concern with Purdy is his ability to play from behind. Now, you know what the beauty of the playoffs is? He can dispel every single one of those narratives. Because the fact of the matter is, Niners are going to trail at some point. They're going to trail at some point. I have a hard time believing San Francisco, loaded as they are, best roster in the league, that they're just going to mop everybody. I, I don't see it happening. So Purdy is going to have to play, play from behind, as is Kyle Shanahan. And he's fully capable of doing it if he's able to maintain that level, steady, sturdy, if you will, confidence that he does when he's not trailing, when he is front-running. I do love what I see. He's by far people saying, oh, he's just doing it. Jimmy did. No, 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 no. The Niners, you watch the way that, that Kyle Shanahan calls games or called games when Jimmy's in the lineup and when Purdy's in the lineup. He lets Purdy take shots down the field. He lets Purdy make big-time anticipation throws. Jimmy, it's Jimmy, don't screw up. Don't put us in a position where the defense has to carry us. Totally different with Purdy. He trusts him so much more. Brock Purdy, 
the six best quarterbacks left in the playoffs. At number five, Jared Goff. Jared Goff is the fifth best quarterback left in the postseason, and here's why. So Jared Goff has had his best non-Ram season of his career. 30 touchdown passes this year. Uh, had a passer rating, I believe a passer rating over 100 in that win last week against the Los Angeles Rams. Didn't turn the, oh, sorry, he had one really bad turnover that he's got to clean up. Listen, Jared Goff's a guy who Rams kind of kicked to the side. A lot of these guys and a lot of great athletes in general been doubted, kicked to the curb. We saw with Baker, Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, Jordan Love, I, and a lot of folks wanted to move on from in Green Bay. And, and listen, Jared Goff is a guy who, when the pocket isn't clean, kind of a mid-level quarterback to below average quarterback. But when it is clean, it's as accurate as they come. Can make great, again, anticipation throws. He has a better arm than Brock Purdy, so that's kind of why I put him above him. We've seen um, we've seen Jared Goff play from behind. Good news is he has a phenomenal offensive line in front of him. They're going to need to play well against that good Tampa Bay pass rush. But listen, what we've seen from Jared Goff, accuracy's never been his issue in, in, in the NFL, even in college at Cal. That's never been a thing. Uh, arm strength is good. Again, as, as efficient a quarterback as there is in the NFL with a clean pocket. When it's not clean... There's some, some stuff there, some limitations there. But right now, what I'm seeing with Jared Goff is a guy who's, who's playing on fire with a lot of confidence, beat his former team last week, so he's feeling good about that, and has an opportunity to do something that the Detroit Lions have not done in the Super Bowl era, and that is lead them to the NFC title game. Jared Goff is the fifth-best quarterback left in the NFL playoffs. At number four, it's the rookie. It is C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud, the fourth-best quarterback left in the playoffs, and here's why. A strong argument, not an argument, a strong argument can be made that C.J. Stroud is still in the midst of the greatest rookie season we've ever seen by an NFL quarterback. With missing a few games, 41 passing, 4,100 passing yards, 23 touchdowns, only five interceptions on the year. And by the way, if you could look at his pass ring, it's right at one hundo. So you talk about a guy who's so confident, so poised, so calm, such a great decision maker and a monster arm. Does this kid have and mobile enough because we saw him do it at Ohio State against the Georgia Bulldogs in the college football playoff. But you're talking about a guy in CJ Straub, who again, confidence is good. And we saw him last week against the against the Browns. CJ Straub did it against the Browns last week. Three tutties. Pass rating of 157.2 and a QBR of 98.4. Completion percentage off the chain. Uh, in the 70 percentile. This is a guy who's just so efficient, so accurate, such a great decision maker. Listen. Folks, it's been an uncomfortable conversation. He beats Lamar and the Ravens tomorrow. We may have to put CJ Stroud in that top five category in his rookie year. I know it's overreacting. I know, Bryson, you're a Trevor guy, and I still am a Trevor guy. But given what we've seen recently, given the body of work of other guys, it's going to be hard to say no. CJ Stroud has gotten the Texans along with D'Amico Ryan's back in business. More so than they've ever been in the brief 20-plus year history of their franchise. C.J. Stroud, the fourth-best quarterback in the National Football League. Into the top three now. These dudes and C.J. could ascend in this, into this pretty quickly. But these guys are franchise changers. At number three, it is Josh Allen. Josh Allen, the third-best quarterback left in the playoffs. And here is why. So, Josh, from a tangible standpoint, is about as talented as they come. Arm, best in football. Most mobile quarterback in the league that can throw well. Uh, outside Lamar Jackson, outside Lamar Jackson, because Lamar's passing ability is, is off the charts. Uh, Josh has been, despite all the hits he's taken, but a very durable guy, hasn't missed any games due to injury in quite some time. I think since his rookie year was the last time that such a thing happened. But this is a guy who's improved his accuracy tremendously since he came to the league. This is a guy who 
is, is you can run your entire offense through him, sometimes at the detriment of your own offense because you don't have anything else other than Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs at times. But this is a dude who, when he can cut back, last week is a perfect example of my Steelers took the brunt of it when he can play mistake free football or just not even that non-reckless football some risks are worth taking they are some just aren't if you can minimize those cut them to zero which he's gonna have to against the kansas city chiefs i believe in order to win he can go toe-to-toe with the best quarterback in the league mahomes and everybody else when he does it it's a bit of a problem but when he does you see what has been able to happen over the vast majority of the six game winning streak that the buffalo's bills have put together led by Josh Allen, who's the third best quarterback left in the playoffs at number two. But this could be subject to change, as all of these could be Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson, the second best quarterback left in the playoffs. And here's why. So, there's pressure. I'll tell you something. There's more pressure on Lamar Jackson than any player this weekend. Because if Lamar goes out, and I'm a Lamar guy. been a Lamar guy his whole career. But if Lamar goes out there, he's going to win a second MVP. With all the regular season wins, winning 75, 80% of his regular season games with this roster, with the best receiving core he's ever had, with the best offensive coordinators he ever had, with the best defense he ever had, with John Harbaugh, home field advantage over an inexperienced Texans team, and loses and drops to one and four, you're going to have folks booting him out of the top five if they even ever had him in their top five. I will struggle to do such a thing. It's hard to take a two-time MVP out, but a fun fact Every two-time MVP in the history of the NFL, I believe this is true, I looked this up, has won a Super Bowl. Now, things can change. Lamar can win a Super Bowl next year, the year after that. He's still young, still in his mid-20s. Or, I think he's around 27, 28 years old. So, late 20s. But his throw, his ability to throw the football from the pocket, he was, I believe, according to Pro Football Focus, the best quarterback in all of football, throwing outside of the pocket. Folks, his mobility speaks for itself. He's the second coming of Michael Dick in that regard. He's unbelievable. Decision-making good. Leadership insane with the Ravens. The heartbeat of that franchise. You got to show up tomorrow against Houston. Because if they go down, he falls to one and four. That'll be a big-time knock. Big-time knock on his legacy, on his resume. And I said as a Lamar guy. But that would be devastating for him and at that point it would be oh, don't care what Lamar does let's see him do it in the playoffs got to if they lose the AFC title game to a hot Buffalo team or to the defending champion Chiefs it is what it is like you he got the AFC title game it's disappointing but it's not a disaster it's a disaster if they lose to Houston a team that had to win their last game just to get in the playoffs against a Ravens team who sat all their starters because they were the best team in the AFC and that game didn't matter to them Lamar's to show up I think mean, he's fully capable of doing so and I think he has the second-best quarterback left in the playoffs, and that leaves the obvious one. Best quarterback left in the playoffs, best quarterback on planet Earth is Patrick Mahomes. It's not even it's not even debatable. Mahomes, the best quarterback left in the playoffs. So, you know, when you look at his playoff resume, he's first in, like, you know, basically everything. Uh, winning percentage uh, is, is first all-time in the postseason. It's first all-time in the postseason in total yards per game, in touchdown to interception ratio, in pass rating, and by the way, second in completion percentage at 66.5%. So Mahomes is maybe outside of Brady, the best playoff quarterback we've seen. That's why I've already got him as the fourth greatest quarterback ever. Now it's gonna be a it's gonna be a trek to catch Manning in, in Montana, but I think he's gonna do it at some point. Catching Brady is gonna be tough. Three MVPs, which Mahomes is close to, but seven Super Bowls, 10 appearances, winning with two different teams could be hard to catch for Patrick. What he's done in the postseason speaks for itself. In the coldest game, fourth coldest game ever, 
Mahomes was magnificent. QBR uh, in the high 80s, I believe. No, tur- uh, no turnovers, couple touchdowns. Uh, he was magnificent from start to finish. Uh, or one touchdown, two touchdowns in that game. Uh, Mahomes was efficient. Mahomes made good decisions. Uh, and did what he always does in the playoffs, and that's play well. So, I think it kind of speaks for itself. Patrick Mahomes, the best quarterback left in the postseason and will be until he's out of his prime. Well, let's be honest. He's going to be until he's, he's out of his prime because he's that dude. All right, let's look back over the list real quick. My top eight quarterbacks from eight to one left in the playoffs. At number eight, it is Baker Mayfield. Baker, Baker, touchdown maker. Uh, at number seven, it is Jordan Love. At number six, sturdy Brock Purdy. At number five, it is Jared Goff. Number four, CJ Stroud. Number three, Josh Allen. Number two, Lamar. And number one, Mahomes. My homeboy. Didn't Shannon Sharp call him that? My homeboy. He's that dude, man. He is that dude. That's my top eight left in the playoffs. Okay. But we're really here to talk about and discuss. Doggone it, who's going to go to the Super Bowl? Well, we can't decide that yet. We will decide that a week from Sunday. But we can look at is it, what we can look at right now is who gets to the game that could take you to the Super Bowl. Well, glad you asked. We all want to know that question. Let's get the more intense background music on. Let's go and predict some football games, shall we? Let's get into it. Okay. So tomorrow is a game featuring the Houston Texans and the Baltimore Ravens. Now, this is a tough one. This was almost Bryce's bleak bet. It, 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 it was. It really was. When I sat out there and looked at this game, I'm like, okay. Houston, little playoff experience. Baltimore, not a ton themselves, but they've been here. They've done that. Haven't had the success they'd like. We'll see what happens with them in that regard. But this is a Texas team that has, in my view, the best rookie quarterback ever, including Justin Herbert, Andrew Luck, Big Ben, Dak Prescott. Throw out any rookie quarterback you want to throw out. I think this guy surpasses them all. So you have that component. You have a young, smart Innovative head coach in D'Amico Ryans. You have a great offensive coordinator who's probably going to be a head coach. Either this hiring cycle or the next. A great defense led by said head coach. All these factors come into the play. Baltimore, though, first run by. And as I said, you heard me just say about Lamar Jackson. There is no, including Josh Allen, there's more pressure on Lamar than any quarterback in the National Football League, and it's not even close. He's got to win this game. Has to. Because it's the best defense, the Ravens, the, the Ravens' the best defense in the league. Number one scoring defense, number one defense in terms of stacks as well. And they might be number one in takeaways. So it's elite from, from the front seven to the back four, outstanding. Okay? Wide receivers. Now, Mark Andrews, tight end, not wide receiver, but Mark Andrews is not going to be activated for this game. Not quite ready. I assume if the Ravens win this game, he'll probably be ready next week for the AFC title game in Baltimore. But Odell Beckham Jr. has had a resurgence to a certain degree. Zay Flowers, the future is oh so bright for that kid. Loved him out of Boston College. They got other weapons. Good running game with Gus Edwards. Great offensive line. Great offensive line in front of Lamar Jackson. Question is, can he make the plays? Is he able to do what he has not been able to do for the vast majority of his playoff career. Really, if you think about it, Lamar, 1-3 and three in the playoffs, not a great signature playoff moment. Didn't have it. He's got an opportunity for it Sunday. Listen, 9.5 is a lot, which is why late, right before I went on the show, I'm like, you know what? It's Bryce's bleak bets. The one game I have absolutely no confidence predicting, but hey, you got to predict them all. 
The segment is technically called Bryce's Bleak. Bet if I were Batman coming up soon. I don't bet. But if I did, I'd have a hard time. I'd, I'd, I'd kind of close my eyes, taking the Ravens minus two, nine and a half. But I'll do it. They've had two weeks off. Best, better roster, better quarterback. Not by much, but the better quarterback. Ravens win this game 27 to 17 over the Houston Texans. Ravens win 27 17. They do cover minus nine and a half, I think. I don't feel that confident in it, but we'll see what happens. Ravens win this one 27 17 over. The Houston Texans, but Houston, if you lose this game, you got nothing, nothing, nothing to hang your heads over. Nothing. You got a lot to build on. A lot of momentum. For the Ravens, first time since they won the Super Bowl back in 2012, they will be back in the AFC title game. I'll be rooting for my pick, but also kind of rooting against the Ravens. Go Steelers. All right, to the Saturday night game. This is my favorite segment of the week, folks. It is called... If I were a Batman... Taking a good hard look at Green Bay and San Francisco. Now, fun fact: Green Bay has not won a playoff game against the San Francisco 49ers since the turn of the century, the turn of the millennium, if you will. It was 0102 around that time. The Niners have won four straight playoff games against the Packers. You know, not to rehash this for Packers fans out there, but remember the game Colin Kaepernick ran for about 150 some yards in 2012. Beat the Packers at Old Candlestick Park, the Candlestick Park. And in 2013, after the Packers got Aaron Rodgers back from injury, they won that dramatic game over Chicago to win the division. And the Niners, who are the more talented team, came into San Francisco, beat them on a walk-off field goal in Lambeau, broke everybody's hearts. And then in 2019, with Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback, smoked Green Bay in the NFC title game. Smoked them. Wasn't close from the start. And then two years later... In a game, the Niners did not score an offensive touchdown. Like Their only touchdown came on special teams on a block punt. They still beat the Packers on a walk-off field goal in Lambeau. Now, this game is not in Lambeau. It's at Levi's Stadium. So, San Francisco in this game favored minus 9.5. Again, if I were Batman, I'm, I'm loving this because 9.5 feels good. If it were 10, 10.5, I'd feel a little skittish. I, I, I'm not going to lie to you. But Green Bay, they are coming in with the momentum. They are coming in off of a win over the Dallas Cowboys in a game that they scored at 48 points on. Jordan Love was a drop pass away, which is a darn shame they threw the ball in that situation, but a drop pass away from having a perfect pass rate. You got the young receivers. Jaden Reed, Christian Watson, we'll see where his health is at with that hamstring injury. Romeo Dobbs and Wicks, Musgrave, Aaron Jones. Weapons galore in Green Bay, the future. Again, very similar to Houston. Very bright. Matt LaFleur, who I've been highly critical of, best season he's ever had as a play caller. However, however, that defense in Green Bay, ooh, it can be had. It can be had. Never forget that Baker Mayfield, greatest the season as he's had, had a perfect pass rating against this Packers defense. Never forget that Bryce Young, who had no time to throw and was ineffective all season, hung 30 on Green Bay. Carolina didn't score a point after that game against the Packers. They dropped 30 on the, on, on the Packers. Even Dallas, look, I get it. it, was garbage time, I get it. Game was decided by that point, I understand. They did give up 32. It was garbage time, I understand. They did give up 32. They can be had. And with the Niners roster, me and I rehash it again. Where Brock Purdy, who led the NFL in pass already, is the weak link? Yeah, that's, uh, that's going to be a problem for the inexperienced Packers. 
My prediction is not just that the Niners will win this game. Not just that they will cover this game, but that she's and Ozzy will be in the building on Monday. Pat, Niners win this one. Packers. Niners win this one. 31 to 16. If I were a bet man, give me the Niners. Minus nine and a half. It's big. I understand that. Everybody loves Green Bay. The Packers are high on themselves. By the way, understandably so. Young teams have a right to be high on themselves after getting a big culture-setting win. I'm not Nothing against Green Bay there. They should feel high about themselves. There's one thing. There's going to Dallas and winning, and there's going to San Francisco winning. And San Francisco blows literally everybody out they play. Not exactly literally, but you get what I'm saying. They blow every good team out that they play. Except Baltimore. Niners win. One more time. 31-16. If I were a bet man, give me the Niners. Minus... Nine and a half. That might be the biggest line. I'll have to go back and check. That might be the biggest line I've taken this year on the If I Were a Batman segment. Nonetheless, I feel good about it. Next game. Oh, I can't wait for this one. It's the one game this week that I don't have any sort of special segment for. I just want to sit back and watch and enjoy it. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Detroit Lions, Sunday afternoon. Lions favored minus six and a half. Don't love that line. That was almost the bleak bet game. Don't love that line. Here's what I do love. The fact that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers coming off their dominating win over the Philadelphia Eagles, they feel good about themselves, as they should. Baker, Baker, touchdown maker. And that offense with Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, etc. Fantastic stuff. Uh, and they blitz at a very high level, at a very high rate. Well, there's, there's blitzing Philly. Jalen Hurts struggles against the blitz. There's blitzing Detroit. Goff struggles against pressure. But this line's offensive line's legit. It might be the best in football, including Philadelphia, including Baltimore. It's that good. Panay Sewell, Decker, elite, elite offensive line across the board. This is also a, there's there's one thing facing the Eagles without A.J. Brown. And then there's facing the Lions with Goff at quarterback, obviously. But Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery and Amonra St. Brown and potentially Sam Laporta. Excuse me, and Jamison Williams. All these guys with Ben Johnson, future NFL head coach, calling the plays. Doesn't get much more difficult than that, but this Tampa Bay defense, a lot of guys, a lot of starters who are on that Super Bowl defense in 2020. I think this will be a little bit of a shootout. You gotta realize Tampa Bay played the 31st ranked Philadelphia Eagles pass defense last week. Detroit's 30th. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's, they, this Lions defense, I've been saying for weeks, it's why my preseason prediction of them getting to the NFC title game, it's feeling a little nervous about because I'm like, I, I trust the offense. The defense, eh, eh, I don't know. However, this puppy's in Detroit. This Lions team, Ford Field, Eminem in the building, Marshall Mathers, Calvin Johnson will be there, Barry Sanders will be there, Big Sean will even be there, Detroit royalty. Matthew Stafford might even be there for all we know. I don't know. He might be. The curse of Bobby Lane will continue to be detached or broken. Not broken. You got to win a Super Bowl to break that curse. But to be uh, dissolved a little bit, if you will. Detroit wins this game. 27 to 21. They don't cover. My six and a half is a lot. If it were like four and a half, five, I'd, I'd absolutely take the Lions to cover. But Tampa Bay's a loaded offense. Baker's playing well. The Lions' defense struggles against the pass. This is a clear Tampa Bay plus, uh, plus six and a half. This is Tampa Bay in the points. That's the side. No question. When it's all said and done, the superior offense will get the job done on their home turf in Ford Field. And my preseason prediction, this will be one of the greatest predictions I've ever made in the history of my show. 
my preseason prediction, which went back to the offseason before the preseason for training camp, that the Detroit Lions would make the NFC title game. That is going to happen on Sunday. They're going to beat the Buccaneers, and they will be in said NFC title game. Let's go. Not even a Lions fan, but let's go. Shout out to Detroit, man. Good for them, and it's going to happen. And finally, last game of the weekend. It's my upset of the week. You already know where I'm going here. Give me the Kansas City Chiefs over the Buffalo Bills 24-22. Kansas City wins 24-22, and... Here's why. So this is going to be the, the headline act. The game that everybody is is ready to see. Even the fans of the other six teams in the three games prior to, this is the one all of America is going to be watching. Nance Romo on the call. Wolfson on the sidelines. CBS covering this thing as we all watch and see what transpires. And Allen versus Mahomes part three. As I detailed earlier, Mahomes got the better of Allen. Last two matchups in the postseason. One, a blowout win in the AFC title game in 2020. The other, an all-time, 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 all-time playoff classic in 2021 where both quarterbacks literally could not have played better. It came down to who got the ball last. It was Mahomes. He won the game. Well, they face in Buffalo this time. Patrick Mahomes' first ever road playoff game. That factors. We'll see what happens in that regard, how he handles the road environment. Uh, the stats say that away from Kansas City, which to this point has just been three Super Bowls, that's just been it's been his non-home games in the playoffs, not quite as effective as he would be at home, which that's what most quarterbacks, most players in sports, that tends to be the case. Buffalo, winners of six in a row. Beating good teams. That winning streak started with the Kansas City Chiefs. They did so in Arrowhead. That game wasn't in Buffalo, folks. That was in Arrowhead Stadium, and they came into Arrowhead, got the W. So you factor that in. Then you look at the fact that with the Bills, you know, Josh Allen last week hung 31 of the Steelers, albeit without T.J. Watt, but still, Pittsburgh Steelers, Mike Tomlin, Coach Defense, hung 31, and did not turn the football over, and really couldn't have played better. Was effective with his arm, with his legs, and every single time, and it hurt my soul, that the Steelers, my Steelers, tried to make any kind of push. Looked like, I mean, we got it down to seven in the fourth quarter. We were down 21 nothing. Got that puppy down to seven. I'm thinking, here we go. And then, and then Josh Allen made a play and then made another play. And then a receiver broke a tackle, made a play after the catch. And that was basically all she wrote. So it hurt. It hurt as a Steelers fan, no doubt. But this Buffalo Bills team is playing with, is, is, is playing on, on fire right now. Kansas City, it's the weakest they've been in the Mahomes era. Mahomes, the worst year of his career to this point, which, by the way, if the worst year of your career is 27 touchdown passes and 4,100 yards, I'll take that. Now, the interception is 14. You want to cut that down a little bit, but that's kind of been the issue with, with the Chiefs. However, it's the best defense they've had in this era, led by defensive coordinator Steve Spagnolo. Chris Jones manning the interior of the defensive line. Trent McDuffie, one of the best corners in the NFL this season, on the outside. Legereus Sneed, same could be said about him. Done a great job to the linebacking core for the Kansas City Chiefs. Guys like Nick Bolton, who made the play in the Super Bowl last year on Jalen Hurts, which very well might have been the difference of the game, the, uh, the fumble recovery for the touchdown. Needless to say, I do not believe we're going to have the offensive explosion that we've had and, or become accustomed to between these two. Because Buffalo's offense, hot and cold, hot and cold. You don't know what you're going to get. Facing that Kansas City defense, Buffalo's not going to get going to a high, high level offensively difference to me is Mahomes, this Chiefs offense, kind of looked a little bit more like themselves last week outside of struggles in the red zone. 
This Buffalo Bills defense is missing not one, not two, three linebackers. One of them's backups. They are thin at that position. What does that mean? This is a Travis Kelsey special. Attack the middle of the field, intermittent routes, make plays after the catch. This is going to be a Mahomes, Travis Kelsey playoff classic. We're going to look back 20 years from now at this Chiefs dynasty and be like, oh yeah, that game where Travis and, and Mahomes went crazy, that's what's going to happen. So once again, Chiefs win this game 24-22 to over the Buffalo Bills. They continue. They extend their streak to 3-0 in the postseason against Josh Allen, the Bills, and Kansas City for the sixth year in a row with Mahomes at quarterback gets back to the AFC Championship game. They will go to Baltimore, though, to do it. So that'll be back-to-back road games for, for Kansas City without uh, – or back-to-back road games at Kansas City with Mahomes never having been playing – never having – played on the road until Sunday. So, there's only four games. So we can go back over the picks. I've got the Ravens beating the Texans. That was my Bryson's bleak bet game. I don't feel great about Ravens minus nine and a half, but I'll I I'll do it. Again, not a lot of confidence, but I'll do it. I do I do feel confident the Ravens will win, just not that they'll cover uh, the spread there. It's a nine and a half a lot, given how, how well Houston's played. Uh, I do feel well about this nine and a half point spread. If I were a bet man, can we play that one more time here? Yeah, betting that. If I were a betting man, take the 49ers 31 to 16 to beat the Green Bay Packers to cover minus nine and a half points. Love it. Detroit knocking off the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tampa Bay plus six and a half is absolutely the side. No question about that. 27 21, though, Detroit wins and fulfills my preseason prediction for them. They get to the NFC title game. And finally, Mahomes, the dynasty, the Chiefs, Reed, Kelsey, Swift. Yes, Swift wins. 24 to 22 over the Buffalo Bills. So that'll mean your conference title games will be the first game on Sunday uh, afternoon will be uh, Chiefs at Ravens. The second one will be Lions at Niners. Sign me up. 4-0, baby. 4-0 on my picks straight up and 4-0 on the picks in terms of the spread. I feel great about it. That is all the time we have for today's show. Appreciate everybody stopping by as always. Be sure to catch Carving Up Live on Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific time, right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. And I got to point down now. It's weird with this new graphic. Be sure to, well, there's not a like, share, subscribe, but you know what to do. Like, share, subscribe to the show. Hit that big red subscribe button. Uh, if you have not subscribed to the show, please do so. We're trying to get to 1,000 subscribers by Super Bowl 58, which is February the 11th. It's only in a few weeks, so if we can get there, that would be phenomenal. If you have subscribed, please tell a friend to tell a friend to tell their cat to tell, I guess, another cat. Cats can't speak English or any other human language. The point is, tell everybody you know about it to subscribe to Carving Up Live. We'd greatly appreciate it to become part of the Carving Up family. Uh, definitely be great. Also, just as important, be sure to go subscribe to the Grid Network. That is G-R-Y-D, the Grid Podcast Network, right here on YouTube, as well as any and everywhere you get your favorite podcasts via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, any and everywhere you get your favorite podcast. Fun show today. Lot, lot to talk about. Lot of NFL. Feel great about my picks. Cannot wait for this divisional weekend. It's going to be a fun one. Wish my Steelers were in it, but nonetheless, it's going to be a fun weekend. So, Stay safe out there. Please be sure to take care of your physical as well as your mental health. And please, please, please be sure to contact your local state representatives and senators to demand change for gun violence in America. We have got to address this problem ASAP. All right. I'll see y'all on Monday, divisional weekend. Who knows what happens? Stay safe out there. God bless y'all. Peace out.
Come on, Detroit. Come through for me, man. Come on. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube, and be sure to go click that big red subscribe button and check out the other clips and full shows from Carving It Up Live as well as our other incredible content creators here on The Grid Network.